Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Oracle. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Welcome, everyone, to the Small Business Edge Podcast. My name is Brian Moran, and I'm your host for the show. Today, my guest is Andrew J. Sherman, a partner at the law firm of Seaforth Shaw in Washington, D.C., Andrew is also an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland, as well as Georgetown School of Law. He is the author of 27 books, including Crisis of Disengagement, uh, one of his most recent books, which we'll be talking about quite a bit today. Uh, Andrew is, without a doubt, one of the hardest working and smartest people I know in the small to mid-sized business space. Uh, He also happens to be a member of the SMB Experts Panel, a group of top SMB Thought Leaders, which is sponsored by the Oracle Corporation. Welcome to the show, Andrew J. Sherman. Thank you, Brian. It's truly a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to my upcoming presentation at uh, HCM World. And, um, you know, I've really enjoyed all of my uh, Oracle podcasts and webcasts and all of the fill in the blank casts that we've done together. <laughs> tweet, tweet cast. I forgot right. about tweet. Yeah. Tweet chat. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Exactly how many Andrew J. Shermans are there? Because you are literally in 10 places in one afternoon doing 15 different things. Well, as a small child, I was part of a cloning experiment. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, the experiment was successful. But, uh, no, I just, you know, I, I've really got three full-time jobs. I mean, I, um, I teach at both University of Maryland and Georgetown as many classes as the average full-time professor. I write as many books as a full-time author. And, oh, yes, I am a senior partner at Seifarth Shaw, where I had the corporate department here in D.C. and have, you know, 14 lawyers on my team. So um, <laughs> somehow through time management and a lot of sweat, uh, it all gets done. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think, look, the, the purpose of life is to live a full life and to leave a legacy behind. And certainly the teaching and the writing, as well as the lawyering, you know, when you're sharing your knowledge and expertise with other people, in a way that will benefit them, and you share it selflessly and in a, in a fashion that is always capital efficient. You know, it it it's it's mm-hmm. a lot of work. You're right, and it does sometimes uh, feel heavy on my shoulders. But uh, I let's put it this way: I'm not doing anything I wouldn't want to be doing, and I'm not doing anything right. that doesn't benefit others. And that is the, really the secret to your success is that you love what you do. I've seen you in action. I've seen you speak. I've seen you at events. Um, I've read your books. It's it's amazing how much passion one person can have for something that they well, love. It's and, uh, and it's going to and, and it's a great segue as soon as you're ready into, you know, the book that I wrote, because as someone who, yes. like both of us are fully engaged you know, I was concerned when I read the Gallup data uh, that 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 talks about just how disengaged our workforce is. And rather than just drink a, a whiskey and, and hope for the best, I felt compelled to write a book about it. But yeah. we can get into that in a few minutes. I mean, most people would just have a whiskey. I don't know what's wrong with me that I, I can't manage to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this one, I just couldn't shake off my shoulders. I was, I was too concerned about the impact it was having on so many different aspects of our workforce and so many different aspects of our uh, global competitiveness that, you know, get into it throughout today's show. Well, and, and, and that, 
you know, I, I did read Crisis of Disengagement and I've read your other books, the, the trilogy of, you know, start fast, start right, build fast and grow fast, grow right. I've read, uh, uh, oh, don't let me blank on the book that you wrote from my conference. Um, the road, the, uh, the road ooh, rules, book. Be, be the truck, not the squirrel. That's right. <laughs> and, and still, and I, you said one of your favorite subtitles, right? Absolutely. I love that. And I like to, I like to take partial credit that that book came as a result of your speaking at one of my conferences 10 or 11 years ago. Absolutely. I still remember that conference and, uh, you are 100% right. <laughs> All right. Good. All right. So, so on your, in your book, crisis of disengagement, right on the cover, you wrote how apathy, complacency, and selfishness are destroying today's workplace. So first question I have is, is that a little harsh? And then let's follow that up with, if it is accurate, when, and how did this happen? So you're right. I am a glass half full kind of person. I am not negative by nature. It's clearly the most harsh of any subtitle of any of my books. But I felt, you know, when you're talking to a friend and you really care for the friend and the friend's not is doing something that's harmful to themselves or to their family, and you just want to grab the friend by the shoulders and shake them a little bit. Yes. That's what that subtitle's intending to do. It's not that I'm you know, an angry man <laughs> writing an angry book. It's that I, I care for people and I want people to be engaged and I want them to be passionate. And, and and when you read the Gallup study, which we'll get into in a minute, I realized just how many people weren't happy. And and mm-hmm. the, the apathy is a, a real crisis that we are facing as a nation. The complacency is a related piece of the crisis. And the selfishness piece was really aimed more at American leaders. You know, when you have CEOs of companies that are losing tens of millions of dollars a year, I mean, tens of millions of dollars a year and are earning a $100 million salary, that's a certain level of selfishness that uh, needs to stop. I mean, you know, there, there were some reports done about how the average board member, just board member, earn seven times more than the workers at the companies where uh, where they're governing. And, you know, I'm not proposing, you know, a radical change in our compensation system. I'm just proposing that in order for people to become more engaged, we need to do a little bit more reallocation and sharing of the wealth. And I think we can do that with CEOs of big companies still making very, very, very big money and feeling very rewarded. But I do feel that some degree of selfishness has seeped into our workplace because people are apathetic, because people are complacent. Uh, We've got a little bit too much of the me first and then all of you instead of feeling like you're part of something larger than yourself and wanting to devote yourself to, uh, to a culture that, yes, will take care of you, but that your institutional values transcend your personal values. And, and so having done your research on this, when when exactly did the, the has it always been that way or are we now able to identify um, this malaise in, in the workforce that maybe had been there for 10, 20, 30 years, uh, but we just did, weren't able to recognize it? Or is it kind of like with technology and social media and and kind of this, you know, everybody looking down at their phones that they've kind of become 
disengaged at work? Well, that's a very astute question, Brian. It, it's actually all of those things. Um, mm-hmm. On the one hand, we do have compensation and reward systems at companies that need a significant overhaul in many, many ways. Secondly, we have a workforce that is distracted, not just disengaged, and distracted by the Facebooks and their smartphones and, you know, just this larger degree of ADD and ADHD than we've ever seen before. Um, A third component is Web 2.0 and the transparency of these things. I mean, you think about it, you know, if we were friends in the 1950s and you were having a bad day at work, you might meet me at the local corner bar. You might, you might, you know, if you're feeling uh, uh, talkative, tell me that you had a bad day over a cold beer. Maybe there's a guy next to us that overhears that you had a bad day over a cold beer. And then we'd go home to, you know, our miserable lives, right? I mean, you know, (laughs) that's now on steroids. I mean, now young Brian Moran, you know, 24 years old, has a bad day at work or thinks his boss mistreated him. He starts tweeting about it when he gets home. And before long, you know, 8,000, 10,000, 30,000 people by the morning know that that young Brian Moran had a bad day at work. And, you know, so the power of our ability to communicate. I think you've read this data point. You and I have talked about it before. People are 10 times more likely to communicate a negative experience than a positive one on the internet. So when it comes to Yelp or TripAdvisor Mm -hmm. or any of these Mm -hmm. websites, 10 times more likely to communicate a negative experience. So when we look at the workforce and the degree of interconnectivity of the workforce, and then we combine that interconnectivity with the 10 times rule, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're subjecting ourselves to a lot more apathy and complacency um, than we've ever had before. And then we add in things like this Me Too and others, uh, you know, uh, concerns about whether companies have true diversity and inclusion policies. And all of a sudden, there is just a boatload, I might say a different word if we weren't live, a boatload, we'll leave it at, of of divisiveness. Yeah. And that divisiveness is seeping into our workplace. The, the election of 2016 did not help. Uh, the, the current, you know, social divisiveness, income divisiveness, we're feeling more apart than we are together. And that I, is- I agree. That, I, and sorry. that expression, misery loves company. Yes. Right? Misery loves company. But, you know, I, I would say when you look at the Me Too- and, and time's up. I think those are 100% silver linings in, in the, you know, the fact that there was this underlying major, major issue in the workforce that's being addressed. So I know you and I both agree on that, that that's something positive that came out of a very Absolutely. negative situation. And it's been going on for Look, decades. Technology, so, you know, if I mean, I am pro technology and technology can be an amazing enabler and can be a, an amazing force for bringing us closer together. Yeah. But technology is also capable of driving us further apart. And I think that, you know, one of the themes of today's show needs to be that, you know, all of the great tools that are being developed by Oracle and other companies need to be utilized by managers and leaders and board members to drive togetherness, not further divisiveness, 
both in the workplace and outside the workplace, or we as a nation will not be able to remain competitive. Um, we as a community uh, will not be able to stick together. I mean, I talked about this the other day in a speech I gave. It, it's very ironic and sad that the times that we are most together I mean, when we are really acting like a true community is in response to natural disasters and school shootings. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that, that seems to that seems to be when we really appear on CNN to be locked in arms and doing great things and look yeah. at what the students are doing to get more gun control laws passed. I mean, it's it's powerful. But it, but it shouldn't take that. It shouldn't take that to get it going. It strips away kind of the non, you know, priority things in our lives. I, I do Correct. want you, you talked about the Gallup poll, and and I do want to get to that. So you, you cite, you know, a Gallup poll in which fifty one percent of the workforce is not engaged or disconnected, and then another seventeen point five percent are actively disengaged. That's two thirds of our workforce. So. The first question I think of as, you know, putting myself in the in the hat of the CEO is, are executives aware of the magnitude of this situation? Well, first of all, for those of you listening to today's Small Business Edge podcast <laughs> and you have fallen off your chair or yeah. if you were listening to it while driving and you just driven off the road. Yeah, let me give you 30. Better, right? Let me give you 30 seconds to, to recover. <laughs> From that data point, because that data is 100% true. Um, let me tell you just for a moment, if we've got time, about the Gallup study. It, it okay. came out four years ago. It was called State of the American Workplace. I read it on a lark. I actually read it in connection with one of my other books called Harvesting Intangible Assets. I was oh, phenomenal. Yeah, I was doing some research around the culture of innovation and why some companies kept coming up like Google and 3M and others over and over and over again, but we didn't have enough examples in the United States of true cultures of innovation beyond the typical companies that are mentioned. And I stumbled upon this study and I literally fell out of my chair. I was like, this, this can't be true because the, the rest of the data is 51%, as you said, are not engaged. 17.5% are actively disengaged. Another 20-some percent describe themselves as engaged. And all that means, by the way, is that they have some good days, some bad days, but generally they like their job. This is the classic B-plus student. Yeah. Only 4%. And remember, this study is asking them how they feel about themselves. This is not some manager or supervisor rating their engagement. The numbers could be even worse if we do that. But this is someone saying how they feel about their own job. Only 4%, four out of 100 people in our country describe themselves as highly engaged. That really, these are the, the top performers, the innovators, the creators, uh, the people that just can't wait to get to work in the morning. I mean, how do we remain globally competitive when only 4% of the workforce describe themselves in that fashion? And just so everyone who's listening carefully, Gallup redid the study and released the results in December of 2017. And unfortunately, the numbers had not moved very much. So, you know, we've got a situation now where uh, Gallup has been talking about this to the American uh, leaders for five years, and no one seems to be listening uh, at the magnitude that they should be. 
And I just gave a speech last week for the first time on this topic to NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors. These are 11, 12,000 people who are on the boards of top uh, companies. And what I said to them is, you know, this issue of disengagement is a board level issue. And one of the reasons I got invited to speak to them is because they just came out with a study, they call it the Blue Ribbon uh, Commission on culture as a strategic Uh asset. This is the first time the NACD has recognized culture as a strategic asset formally. So I think what's happening to answer your original question is it's just beginning to get on the radar screens of leaders of companies, of governors of companies, of of middle and senior level managers of companies. Uh, but but it, we're still in the early days uh, of fixing this problem. So this is a great segue because you gave us a, a webinar last fall uh, on HR.com and it was sponsored by Oracle. And I remember you said something to the effect of the fish rots from the head. And so, yeah. so this apathy and disengagement that we're seeing today, it's not a, a necessarily a result of employees just you know coming into work and not feeling like they they don't belong or their opinions are not heard. Is this is this a leadership and governance issue that it really does start from the top? Well, another astute question. I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> so. There's two schools of thought. Um, School of thought number one is what you just articulated, and that is, yes, this clearly starts from the top. If leaders and board members and CEOs of companies believe that engagement is defined as free bagel Fridays in a ping pong table, uh, (laughs) they've got some work to do. Uh, That's a very 1990s um, approach to having engaged workforce. On the other hand, um, some people say that it's also a bottoms up problem that, you know, it starts with that guy in the mailroom who always has a smile on his face and is whistling his favorite song as he walks the halls and delivers mail. And, and, you know, you start looking at him and you say, man, if he can smile and whistle all day, I can certainly do so. And so I think it's both. It, 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 to, re- to really get it to work, to really move the engagement numbers, I think it's both top down and bottom up. Um, both sides need to be, you know, focused on this. And here's the other myth that I want to break before we run out of runway. Um, it's not just a millennial issue. I will tell you that a lot of people, when I first give, you know, start a speech, there will always be some baby boomer in the audience that will raise their hand and say, oh, yeah, those disengaged millennials, they're the worst. And I will yeah. say to that member of the audience, I say, number one, uh, my children are 28 and 26, and they both work very, very hard. So please don't include all millennials in that. Uh, number yeah. two, there's a lot of disengaged baby boomers, um, baby boomers in their 50s and 60s who are still working and resent it because they can't retire or won't retire or won't delegate or won't train or won't mentor or won't coach. And so I don't want our listeners to think it's just the young people because actually the young people that I've talked to are hungry for empowerment, hungry for more tasks and and to have their millennials serve, the the baby boomers serve as mentors and coaches uh, to millennials. But we have too many baby boomers still in the workforce that 
are afraid to retire or unable to retire. Um, but by by 2025, the millennials will be the lion's share of the workforce. And if we're going to really get things fixed by then, uh, we need both the the fish head and the fish tail, yeah. uh, if you will, to be cooperating. <laughs> well, and and when you have two thirds of your workforce that is either engaged, disengaged, or actively disengaged, that you know, crosses over all generations. So it's not just a, a millennial issue or even, you know, an upcoming Gen Z issue. But I, and, and I do agree with you that I think, you know, I've talked a lot about in previous podcasts and, and other things that I've done that, you know, this digital transformation that we're going through right now as an economy and a society is really you know, it's it's this incredible force. It's changing the way people think. It's changing the way people work, the way they eat, the way they sleep. And, and you know, I think people are going to look back on this in 10, 15 years and say, wow, that was, you know, that was significant. And maybe, maybe you know, the, the companies and the people just didn't realize what exactly we were going through. Uh, but, but, but as we go through this digital transformation, right now and and for the next three to five years at least what kind of impact would it have is it going to have on innovation and creativity and productivity and even profitability well wow um i hope we have another three or four hours available on the podcast (laughs) because you just opened up uh not only pandora's box but pandora's brother (laughs) sister and third cousin (laughs) so so get comfortable because Right. I, I may have to take a sip of water before I answer this one right. just to get ready. All right. All right. So there's a lot of – Take that sip. Take that sip. Hold on. And I want everybody listening now who is still listening uh, because there is there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel because the, the last question I say for you is how do we fix all of this and, and how do we sustain it? So there is light at the end of the tunnel to everybody. But let's get to this question. Okay. So um, this is a complex problem. All right. Number one – Uh, The latest data that I read is that a billion jobs, a billion jobs over the next five to 10 years will either disappear or need to be transformed as a result of automation, robotics, artificial intelligence, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. now we have, you know, about a fourth or fifth of the world's workforce that needs to be retrained. AT&T just made an announcement uh, earlier this week. They're investing a few billion dollars in retraining. Other companies are starting to step up. But one of the things, as I got deeper into my research, is that some of the complacency and the apathy is due to fear. Fear of what? Fear of being replaced by a robot. So what some people are doing, even at at, 40-something years old or 30-something years old, they're giving up. They're basically saying, why should I care about my job? Why should I get better at my job? Because in a couple of years, I will have no job. So instead of instead of saying, how do I continue to add value to this company and what new skill sets can I learn? They're basically throwing up their arms and going, I'm not going to have a job in a couple of years anyway. So why should I care now? And that's obviously the wrong attitude. The second thing is, as much as I read about the, the, the you know, the convergence of man and machine and the notion of singularity, uh, you know, and all of the great writings of, of Stephen Hawking, may he rest in peace. Uh, what a great loss this yeah. week. Um, I, I think that's still 
a while away. It is happening very quickly. This will be an era that will that that will remember in the history of mankind. But you know, th- I think about my own job. Right, I'm a corporate transactional yeah, lawyer. Yeah. What can IBM Watson do for me? Will it replace me? Probably not anytime soon. But what I could be doing is having Watson by my side, right? You know, talking about uh, scenario analysis or negotiating tactics, or you know, maybe Watson comes up with five things and I come up with five things, and then those ten things become part of my answer. Um, supercomputing, big data, AI. Um, all of the technologies of the future, I think, are going to enhance our productivity. And rather than thinking of them as replacing me, think about in all of your jobs and, and those of you that are leading companies, how will your workforce need to transform? How can you retrain that workforce? Of course, you're going to want to take advantage of some of the efficiency of automation. Um, I saw, um, uh, I was giving a speech last week in Mississippi. And uh, someone raised their hand and said, have you heard about Flippy? I said, no, I haven't heard about Flippy. Tell me about Flippy. They said, oh, it's a new robot that flips hamburgers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's going to eventually replace, you know, tens of thousands of hamburger flippers at McDonald's and Wendy's. And they said, and Flippy never has a sick day. Flippy never sweats inside your hamburger. Flippy, you know, is always clean, uh, you know, and washes his hands after going to the bathroom and all the other things that you fear of your hamburger flipper now. And, you know, those jobs just may not be there. I mean, Flippy's coming. Um, so, so how will the inside of a fast food restaurant need to be transformed? We've already seen it with electronic ordering, online ordering apps. You know, they have far less cash registers and far less people at the cash registers because so much of the work is done online or in advance of your arrival. So, you know, we, we can fight this stuff, which is really stupid, or we can embrace it and know that it's coming. But uh, when we talk about engagement and intersect it with digital transformation, we, we, we've got to be committed to uh, finding meaningful work for people whose jobs will be more efficient through automation, robotics, and AI, as well as drones, autonomous vehicles. I mean, all of these things are, are to your point, is having a very, very significant impact on our, on the, on our workforce and our or workspaces. So, so that begs the question, and and here is the the sweetener that we talked about. There is this incredible fear and anxiety in the workplace, and I think that has definitely played a role in disengagement and apathy. Uh, it, it's almost like those are defense mechanisms, right? So that people don't have to look into the future and maybe see something that they don't want to see. So what can companies do today? And I mean, lar- you know, small to large to either implement or inspire or sustain some sort of positive engagement from their employees and their leaders. Well, I think one of it starts with a commitment, you know, the announcement that AT&T made that they're going to spend, I forget the exact number, it was something like $2 billion or more on retraining programs. You know, one of the things I said earlier in the show is that for engagement to improve, companies need to rethink their compensation, benefit, and rewards program. Well, I got to tell you, if you 
presented the average worker tomorrow with a choice. I can give you a $2,500 Christmas bonus, or I can invest that $2,500 in retraining you so that you'll have a job for the next 20 years and that you'll stay relevant for the next 20 years. Um, you know, I would hope that most people would choose the training over the Christmas bonus, yes. which after taxes is really, you know, even less than that. So, you know, that's the dilemma that that we're facing. We're we're in a place where we need to make sure that we're investing as as leaders and owners of companies that we're investing in the kinds of rewards and benefits that people truly value. And my fear is we're still sort of stuck in a 1995 set of compensation, the way that people work, how they work, uh, investments in training, coaching, mentoring to keep people from becoming irrelevant and to make sure that people become irreplaceable. That's what I would, if I were a young person or even a not so young person, that's what I'd be wanting from my employer. And if my employer could show me that they were really committed to me as a person and my career track, I would think my level of engagement will go up multiple points, right? Just just doing that. And that's before we get into, you know, other things around peer recognition and uh, things that every study shows that people really value, sometimes even more than money. And so let's let's start to, you know, bring this into the home stretch. But there's there's one point that I want to make as far as the generational workforces. You know, if you remember, you know, back in our, our parents days, you, you know, you work for you work for one company for 30 years and you got a gold watch. Right. Everybody worked for one company. It was it was like in baseball. You know, you played on the same team and then Kurt Flood introduced free agency to the world and everything changed. And so, you know, as we progressed, um, you know, into our generation, you you went from company to company and firm to firm. Uh, improving your own lot in life and, and, and kind of feeling what your market share was, you know, what your market value was. And, and sometimes you went to the highest bidder. Sometimes you went to the chemistry of a team. It just felt right because, you know, you also have to love what you do. Um, but you still work for just that one company. Now and moving forward, we're starting to see people who are working for two, three, four companies, and, you know, the younger generation, it's it's yeah, I have three jobs and one of them is a nonprofit or it's, you know, uh, some social entrepreneurship job. And, um, you know, I'm giving back. But, you know, so what, what I see the workforce becoming is people not putting all their eggs in one employer's basket that they're actually going to be working two, three, four jobs and um, focus more on the kind of like that work-life balance. What do you think? Yep. I think you're 100% right. I mean, whether you call it free agent nation, whether you call it the gig economy, whatever nickname you want to give it, um, it, 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 it applies A, to a level of engagement. Because remember, when somebody's working 15 hours a week for you and 25 hours a week for somebody else and 30 hours a week for somebody else and is a part-time dog walker and runs their own YouTube website where they, they, they yeah. promote jewelry and merchandise. I mean, that's the way that they cobble together, you know, their 80 to a hundred thousand dollars a year now. And, and that doesn't lend itself to the kind of innovation and creativity and productivity uh, that you're going to see at companies. Now, it can be profitable. 
Don't get me wrong, but someone who's working for you 15 hours a week is not likely to be tossing around in bed at night going, how can I make that company's products or services stronger? Or maybe they will, but they're going to expect a whole different comp model because it's not, quote unquote, included in their day job. You know, they may come to you with an innovative idea, but they want to partner with you on it or license it to you or whatever it may be. So I think that, you know, if we do it right, it doesn't have to put us in a uh, in a you know injured position from a competitive perspective because this phenomenon that you describe is happening not just in the US but all over the world and in fact in parts of Europe it's already kind of an accepted practice that no one's going to really work for you but the 30 year old gold watch model is definitely uh, either dead or dying a, a, a relatively rapid death right right and and I, I I think that you know the 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 big challenge for HR executives in companies is, you know, how do we, you know, how do we introduce automation into our company? How do we replace a certain group of employees without disrupting our, you know, our business culture? And how do we then keep everybody happy and excited to come to work? And these, this is definitely a challenge that keeps HR executives up at night, not only HR executives, but CEOs and, and C-suite execs and department leaders, right? Where it's, it's not only do I need to look at outside forces, what my comp, my, right, my competitors are doing, what's happening in the marketplace, but I need to have eyes in the back of my head to make sure my support team hasn't abandoned me. Well, and also, look, all of these gig workers and free agents have to report to somebody. So there has to be somebody, uh, some portion of your overall workforce that is full-time and dedicated and 401k'd and benefited in healthcare. And, you know, I mean, we can't, it's, it's very difficult to run a company that is a complete gig economy, part-time worker company, you know, except with maybe very limited exceptions. But at some point, you know, this is another thing is blowing up your org chart. Um, Your org chart was probably, you know, designed uh, many, many years ago, and you haven't really looked at it in a matrix cross-functional kind of way that would drive some efficiency into the org chart and also be more reflective of the exact trends you were just describing. So let's do this. It's, 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 I could talk to you for hours <laughs> just, just on this, well, I could talk to you <laughs> just on this topic too, alone, but I know we're at the 35 minute mark here right, and right. you know, I, I get it. I, I really do. And I, I hope that there will be a part two and I hope that all of the listeners, you know, the, the, you know, Look, I will say this to your listeners, Brian. I mean, these are heavy, heavy, heavy topics, and you'd probably rather hear some upbeat podcast about, you know, picking flowers while drinking wine. But, <laughs> that, that's but, my you know, next one. With yeah, your next one. yeah. But, but <laughs> that was, uh, I'm not going to comment. But, you know, the point being that, look, I too would rather be talking about something else. I have books on innovation and governance and business growth, and those are much more pleasant topics. But let me tell you this, because we're coming to the end. If we don't fix this, then everything else is irrelevant. I could write a hundred books on business growth strategies but you try and grow your company with a disengaged workforce. I could write a hundred books on innovation, but you try and foster innovation and creativity in your company with a disengaged workforce. I could write a hundred books on raising growth capital, 
Uh, but you try and raise growth capital when the diligence on your company uh, reveals a disengaged workforce. I could write 100 books on mergers and acquisitions, but you can try selling your company. You know, the level of disengagement is becoming a due diligence item for buyers. And buyers are going to want to know, how engaged is your workforce before I spend $100 million on this company? So all of my other books, all of my other books and all of those topics what I what I've learned become irrelevant if we don't fix this one, and uh, that's why I'm so passionate about this book. Not because I'm a deep subject matter expert in in uh, HR. I'm not, but because I realize that as a strategist and as a transactional lawyer, none of the other strategies that I talk about and write about and practice law on will work if we have a highly disengaged workforce. So an engaged workforce, well, we know this, an engaged workforce, people who love what they do, they run to work in the morning, is is going to translate into, um, you know, potentially happy customers, right? People see, you know, oh yeah, I, I go to that store, I visit that company, everyone's so positive. You know, I, I, love, I love being part of that. But, you know, that, and you think about companies that have that, that great, business culture. And by the way, everybody just, sorry, there's a really important point you just raised that I don't want to get lost. Um, This level of, because it's, it's a term we haven't talked about yet. The level of disengagement or engagement has a direct impact on customer service, on brand equity. We haven't mentioned that. I I, I know it may sound obvious to our listeners, but you know, if you're looking to build a, a brand and a culture that others admire, you've got to get your engagement act together. Oh, yeah. And, and and what I was going to say is that that's part of the value proposition. So that when you go to sell your company, and as you pointed out, you know, as the as the buyers do their due diligence, they're going to say, you know, this this workforce, these customers, you know, they're, they're worth 3x as opposed to 1x in terms of the value proposition. Right. You, it, it's hard to develop this type of relationship with customers or with your employees. Well, and I think that so many of us putting our consumer hat on, so many of us just experience disengagement throughout the day that that's where this apathy, you know, to kind of, you know, wrap up the show or close to wrap up the show where we started this issue of apathy. The word was chosen very carefully for the for the cover of the book, because what happens is when when workers suffer from apathy, so, uh, over time, customers suffer from apathy and our whole standard lowers. You know, you start thinking, oh, my gosh, that waiter actually said hello to me. What yeah. an amazing waiter. You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, that can't yeah. be the standard, yeah. you know, or, or it's going to just we're, we're just going to slip off into the ocean from a <laughs> customer service perspective. And that can't that that can't keep us competitive either. So, so let's leave uh, our listeners with this. Um, if you run a company, whether you're a small business owner, mid-sized company, entrepreneur, or even you know an entrepreneur, so a department head in a larger company, um, really one of the the keys to success moving forward is finding out the level of engagement or disengagement with your team, with your employees, and how's that, how that's translating into the relationship you have with your customers. And if you want to turn things around, and it probably won't cost you a whole lot of money, right? It, it's just being engaged and leading by example and, and really putting others' best interests first, 
that, that you can turn an apathetic and disengaged workforce into one that's willing to run through a wall for you. Absolutely. You know, your actions matter. You're, you're, you're being looked at. If you're listening today as the owner of a company or the CEO of a company or even the board member of a company, how you conduct yourself really matters. Um, I was with the owner of a very successful business this morning in D.C., and he and I actually gave a TED Talk together a few years ago, and I still remember his TED Talk. And he was talking about um, how to build a strong culture among his employees. And he said, you know, I, I, when I walk in, people know that I really care about them. People know that I'll put their interests first. He says, you know, I may drive a slightly lesser car and I might live in a slightly smaller house and, and, I, and I might not wear the fanciest of clothes, but I don't need any of that stuff. What I need are my employees to treat my customers uh, like they're gold. And and I'll get that if I'm willing to make investments. And and he said, don't get me wrong. I live very well. But I, I you know, sometimes the incremental margin of, of the third or fourth car or the third or fourth beach house can be plowed back into your employees. And remember what we said, not necessarily in terms of compensation, We're talking about training, coaching, mentoring, uh, virtual, you know, workplace. I mean, all, you know, telecommuting, all these things that everyone says they're looking for. And those small sacrifices will translate to your bottom line. You're not giving it away. You're making investments in it and, and making investments in your workforce in a way that I am confident they will respond. So be ready to blow up your org chart. Be ready to blow up your comp systems. Don't think that engagement equals free bagel Fridays. You know, <laughs> those, those concepts are gone. And, right. and, and listen, listen carefully to your workforce and uh, do your best to, 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 to meet their needs. It doesn't have to be in a way that completely, you know, sa you sacrifice, your family sacrifice. I think there's a middle ground here and we as a nation need to find it. I love it. Fantastic. So, Andrew, let me let me leave on this. Three books that uh, I want to recommend to our listeners that you've written, three of your 27. So, you know, do a search on Andrew J. Sherman to find out all of the books that he's written. But one of your latest is Crisis of Disengagement. The other one that I want to promote is Road Rules, which I absolutely loved. Be the truck, not the squirrel. And then harvesting intangible assets, especially for owners of growing companies. Finding the Rembrandts in your attic is, I think, one of the terms you use for that. But those three books, I think, are are fantastic. And, and you have left us with so much to think about in terms of, you, you know, I, I can feel the energy just from this conversation and that the people who listen to this are going to turn off their computer and run right out and start trying to figure out ways to to motivate their workforce, to inspire their workforce in a positive way, because they know the ROI is there. And with that, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Uh, best way is just uh, look me up on the SyFarth.com website, S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H.com. Uh, all of my contact information is there. Uh, check out, as Brian said, my Amazon author page. Um, or, you know, just uh, pop my name into Google and hopefully lots of good stuff will come up. So I, I thank you, Brian, for the opportunity to be on the show. I think you summarized the messaging well. And uh, I just wish the best of luck to uh, the probably, what, tens of millions of people that are going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> probably at least that. <laughs>
Thank, well, that's great. Andrew, thank you. And for everyone listening, um, if you want to reach out to me, my name is Brian Moran. You can find me on Twitter, B-R-I-A-N-M-O-R-A-N. Um, or you can email me at brian at smallbusinessedge.com. And you've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. And we look forward to having Andrew back soon to, uh, to do the second round of our podcast. Take care, everyone, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Oracle. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.